Well, good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Here. So, last night, as, as David just announced, it's been a rough week. And last night at 11.30, um, I got a message, and it was from my best friend, uh, the best man at my wedding. He's uh, probably one of the toughest men I've ever met in my entire life. I don't know. He is the toughest man I've ever met in my entire life. Uh, left home in 17, the mountains of Tennessee. Only member of his family to ever leave since like 1803. Um, big mountain man, six foot three. Now he's about 250. He's, he's dropping the pounds, but uh, joined the Marine Corps at 17. And then uh, ended up down here in Pearland as a police officer. Um, has been for the last 20 years. And he was at my house on Tuesday whenever David came by to deliver the news. It just so happened he was on his way home that day. He wasn't feeling good. And uh, last night at 11.30, he sent me a message in a moment of, so this is a man who doesn't ever share his feelings, ever, okay? Uh, he's, a, he's a hard case. But he sent me a message last night, and he goes, hey man, I just need to talk to you. He said, I actually came by the other day to kind of pour some things out that I had on my heart, and that's not something he does. And he said, and David came by, and I realized that he said it wasn't time yet. He said, but what I do have to tell you is you need to share tomorrow with those people that God's grace is sufficient, and that God is sufficient. Now, we've had maybe three conversations about God in our entire friendship, right? It's something that it, I don't do well reaching out to him, and he, for the most part, doesn't ever talk about himself. So whenever this man said, this is what you need to deliver tomorrow, everything changed. And so at 11.30ish last night, I began writing what I'm going to deliver to you today, and I believe that it is definitely what God intends for you to hear today. Now, I apologize if it's a little rough, but uh, at any rate, let's get into it. Um, so the, the scripture today um, is actually Romans. It comes from the book of Romans, and it says, it's Paul, it's Christ speaking to Paul, right? And it, Christ says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. So actually, what we're going to talk about today is my mom, right? Um, Whenever you're growing up with your parents, you know, you see them one way. As you get older, you start to kind of learn about who they are and how they became who they are. And my mom did not have an easy walk in her young life. Um, at age eight, uh, she lived here in from Pearland, grew up in First United Methodist Church of Pearland, our, our parent campus. Um, at the age of eight, during a five-month span of her life, she lost all of her siblings, three of them. Different scenarios. Her little brother passed away from a, a heart defect. Her older sister, there was an issue in the hospital. Her oldest brother left, not ever to return until 40 years later. So for all intents and purposes, she lost him, right? And so she went from being this happy child, playing with a little brother in a happy home in Pearland, actually the very home that my wife and I live in now, to one where her parents did not speak to one another for a year. There was grief, there was mourning, and there was sadness. And so she, every day, and trying to find some semblance of her own childhood, also had to try and make both sides of her parents now, who were not speaking, find joy in some way, shape, or form. Whatever it took to bring joy to them. And she didn't have time to really think about herself. She was always trying to make them happy, right? To make everybody feel included. And that's the way, as my family can attest, it's the way she still is today. So that was her childhood. <clears throat> now fast forward. She meets my dad. They get married, and pretty soon, 
My sister Janelle, who's sitting right over there, is on the way, right? And everything's great. Pregnancy's fine and wonderful. She goes into labor. During that time, her levels start kind of going crazy. The doctor starts saying, hey, something's not right. And uh, my dad, had, having been in law enforcement, knew and understood kind of what this meant. And so first he went to the waiting room to tell my family to pray. My grandmother, who's sitting in the waiting room, sees his face. He doesn't have to say a word she knows. She gets up and runs out of the hospital because she is terrified that he's about to tell her that she's lost her final and only child. He runs back in there, and at that point she's gone into shock, and she flatlines. And my dad said, I hit my knees, and he said, I prayed harder than I've ever prayed in my entire life then or since. And he said, and I made some promises to God to this day I'm afraid not to keep. He said, if only your sister and your mom would be okay, right? So that's what was going on in the hospital. But my mom had a different thing going on at that same time, right? For those of you who've been a part of FMC Maine, you've heard the testimony, but she said she remembers being in excruciating pain. She remembers being on a really cold table. And she said in the next instant, she was surrounded by a warmth and a love that you cannot even begin to describe or fathom on this earth. She said, you know, all the, the things you always hear about, the, the, the light, she said it was a brilliant light, 10,000 times brighter than the sun. She said, yet you could take it all in, you could stare at it, you could, you could feel it. She said, but the, the most intriguing part is the feeling of that love and warmth and that, that forgiveness. She said it was, the love was not a feeling, it was a physical entity there. And she said, you know, it, as the, you hear about, you know, the tunnel, you hear about now, the tunnel of light. And she said the three figures came towards her. She said they weren't really walking or anything. They were just moving towards her. She said and they had the most peaceful looks on their faces. And it was her youth director from FMC Maine who had passed away a month before. Her little brother Roger who had passed away when she was eight. And her grandma. And she said they came up to her and she said we didn't talk. She said but we communicated. And one of the things that they were trying to basically get across to her was hey come with us. And she said, you know, I desperately wanted to go with him. She said, but I knew that I couldn't because I had a little girl and a husband that needed me. And so she said, I, I told him I can't go with you right now. And she said, they all smiled, the most peaceful smile you could fathom, unlike anything she's ever seen on this earth. And she said, they put their hands down, they faded back into the light, and the next thing she knew was excruciating pain. And all she wanted to do was go back to the light, right? So... It took a lot of years of my life to, uh, to come to an understanding of the gravity of the choice that my mom made, right? There's a whole lot of us who want to shed the pain of this world, to get away from the pain of this world, to, to go and feel that peace in heaven. Frankly, we'd be crazy not to, right? Because this world can get pretty painful. But not too many people stand in the presence of heaven and choose the pain of this world instead. And the only thing, the only thing that I've been able to wrap my mind around on this is that what drives that is unconditional love. And that is something that to this day, our ability to love people unconditionally regardless of who they are, uh, and her understanding of grace, I mean, frankly, it boggles my mind even to this day, the level to which she lives these things. So it's affected my view of sin. It's affected my view of people as a whole. Um, because whenever she meets somebody, and it doesn't matter what they've done, it doesn't matter what their background is, right? She goes, 
you're not a bad person, you're good, inherently good, right? And the rest of us would say, no, that, that's a terrible person, or that is an evil person. She goes, well, maybe they've done evil things, but deep down inside, they're a good person. They're a, they, they're a child of God, and he loves them, and she'll tell them that to their face. They could confess anything to her, and she says, hey, God loves you. His grace is sufficient for you. I love you. Come here, let me give you a hug, right? And it, it makes me wonder sometimes, and don't get me wrong, I'm not comparing my mom to Moses here, okay? But... Whenever Moses came down from the mountain, it said his face shone like a mirror. But when you look at the actual translation, after being in the presence of God, it wasn't that it shone like a mirror, like a reflection, but it was, it was that it was shining out from within him, the light of God. And it makes me wonder sometimes, after her being in the presence of God there, her spirit being there, that when she came back, she has this uncanny ability to see the good in people because that light within her illuminates the good in them. And it's that much, maybe easier for her. I don't know that she can look and say, you're inherently good and God loves you. And when a lot of us, we get caught up in judgment. So she deeply lives this code of hate the sin, but love the sinner. How many of y'all have heard that before? Heard that, okay. And I, I've gotten that wrong in the past. I think a lot of us have gotten it wrong in the past. And I know that cultural Christianity as a whole tends to pick out certain sins as being worse than others and focuses in on them. And what it does is it fosters hatred for the sinner instead of the unconditional love that they need to come to repentance. And so that's one of the things as Christians, and you see it throughout, we forget that we're not called to judge those who don't know Christ. We're not called to condemn those who don't know Christ, and yet that's what you see on the news. We're called to love those who don't know Him. We are called to call back into repentance those who, who call on Christ. Right? But we don't, we're not called to condemn anyone. We are not the judge that's on a roll. But when we get that wrong, then it skews what grace is to a lot of people. Let me give you an example. Have you ever heard of a book called Blue Light Jazz? Heard of that? Okay, a couple people. Um, in there, there's a, a situation where, there, I think they're on college campus at Berkeley, right? It's a pretty crazy college campus. You know, there's people running around everywhere. There's drugs and alcohol and partying. And so there's a Christian group on campus that goes on there and they set up a confession booth, is what it's called, right? And it says it on the confession booth. And so pretty soon, you know, one of the, the Christians in this group goes in there, he dresses in a monk robe, right? He sits down. And pretty soon he gets his first confessor, right? Or so the guy thinks. And he comes in there and he's like, so, man, what is this all about? And he said, it's a confession booth. And he goes, so you want me to confess all my sins to you? And, uh, and the Christian guy goes... No, man, uh, that's not what this is about. Was, well, then what is it? And he said, this is for me to confess my sins to you. And the guy kind of looks at him and he goes, I'm sorry? And he said, yeah, man, look, I'm a follower of Christ. And, man, I'm here to ask your forgiveness because we're supposed to represent him and, and show who he is. And he's like, man, Christianity as a whole is not doing a very good job of it. He said, and I haven't done a good job of it, so I'm, I'm here to ask your forgiveness. Well, all of a sudden, that guy who came in probably to mock him stops dead in his tracks. Now he has tears welling up inside. He goes, hey, man, you don't need to do this. Like, we, we don't need to do this. And he goes, no, I need to do this. I need to know whether or not you forgive me. And this guy's backtracking now, and he's like, hey, look, man, how many people know that you're doing this? He's like, well, so far, just you. And he goes, people need to know y'all are doing this. He's like, I'm not saying I'm becoming Christian right now. He's like, but... Would you share the gospel with me just so I know, right? So all of a sudden, this guy who came into that tent wanting to mock Christianity, mock Christians as a whole, because he'd been used to the judgment piece, 
His heart was now opened up to the gospel because he was approached out of grace and forgiveness and love. Right? So, in days past, and still in some places, we got the fire and brimstone teaching, right? You've heard about that before. Repent, repent, and you're going to hell, right? It's more than Southern Baptist line, typically. You know, not to call it any denominations, but you see that a lot. And so a lot of people are driven to atheism and agnosticism as a result of that strict legalism that you find there. And so they come to a temporary repentance out of fear of eternal damnation, but there's a very little talk of grace in there. And then on the opposite end of the spectrum today, we have the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel that also says Jesus doesn't require that much of you, right? And that he's good with you just showing up, and that's all. And so there's not a whole lot of repentance preached. When in all reality, grace and repentance are inseparable, just like faith and works, just like a pair of scissors. I mean, you got to have both sides to make a cut, right? So on the flip side of that example in Blue Light Jazz, here's a real example that happened on the campus of U of H last year. One of the guys who works for me, David Worm, he uh, sent me a message and he goes, hey, uh, I just got a message that he follows, the I don't know the Twitter thing, right? Um, but uh, he gets this tweet from this girl, or he sees one that says, Hey, I was walking through campus, there's a guy preaching, and he just looked over and told me that I, because I'm wearing ear earrings, I'm going to hell. And David said, I'm going to check this, he sent me a message, I'm going to check this out and see what this is all about, right? So he heads across campus and he sees this guy, and this guy's out there preaching repentance. He's 21 years old, and one of the things that he's saying is that once you come to repentance, once you repent, then that's it. And he said, I was 19, I found Christ, I repented, and I have not sinned since. And I said, so you mean to tell me a 19-year-old dude on a college campus for two years hasn't had any evil thoughts? Yeah, okay. And I said, just ask him, well, what happens when you do mess up? What happens when you do? And so he asked him. He said, so what about whenever you do sin? And he goes, oh, well, I'm not going to. And he goes, oh, okay. So, right, but what if you do? He's like, well, then I'm not a part of Christ anymore. So there's an instance where, as Christians, we need to... Not necessarily even, I don't know that I would draw that guy in quietly. I would probably form tackle him before he did any more damage, right? Because you can just imagine people coming up there and all they've ever heard is the judgment and, and the condemnation. And they've not heard the grace and forgiveness. And this guy's up there saying, hey, once you come to Jesus, if you ever mess up for the rest of your life, you're done. How many people are going to walk away from that? Because it's not truth. And so there's so much damage done whenever grace is not brought forth and, and made to be understood to those to, to the people out there who don't understand the gospel, and instead we lead with condemnation and judgment. So when we make known to them what he has done and pouring out his grace upon them through his death on the cross, then repentance is going to follow out of not out of a, a, a fear of eternal damnation or anything else, but out of a desire to please him because of his loving kindness to us. So, now there's a, a level of fear of the Lord, as you heard. Work out your faith in fear and trembling, and that's absolutely true. But that comes whenever we come to know Him, and out of sheer awe of who He is, of fear and trembling before the Lord. Not out of fear of the eternal consequences, just out of respect for who He is. So one of the things that uh, my mom always says whenever she's talking about grace specifically, is she always talked about the power of it. She's like, it's powerful, you know. And I always had in my mind that grace was basically this, um, as one author put it, this unmerited favor that God has a pleasing disposition toward us 
as a result of Christ's atonement on the cross. Basically, he's not mad at us anymore because Christ atoned for that. And that's how I've pretty much viewed grace most of my life. But listen to what Paul says in, in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. There's a truth that I missed. It says grace is powerful, and it is through our weakness that it is perfected. Grace is divine strength given to us so that we can live in ways that please God. Ultimately, when we learn of His grace, which leads to repentance, it's the same gift of grace that gives us the power to obey Him. Right? That's the biggest piece of grace is it gives us that strength to actually continue in repentance with Him. It's not just something that keeps and, and to represent the fact that Christ has atoned for what went down. It's what actually gives us the ability to follow Christ. And so along with that, there's two types of grace that I'm going to go over today. And that is, the first is forgiving grace. And so Colossians 2, 13-14 says, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. So one of the greatest struggles most of us face is actually believing that we are forgiven. I know it is for me, right? The things that I've done in the past, coming to, or, or things that I continue to do, that I go, Lord, I, I, I can't wrap my mind around a lot of times that I'm truly forgiven, and so I have trouble accepting it. And so that's the first step, truly trusting and believing that we're forgiven and praying for that forgiving grace. After that, there's something called transforming grace. And this is, in, in Romans 6, 4, he says this, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Or as it says in James, he said, By his own choice he gave us a new birth by the message of truth so that we would be the first fruits of his creatures. See, it's not just enough that we know that our debt has been paid. We need to know that this transforming grace, we need to know it to be able to live like Christ, to be able to mirror His holiness and the way that He walked. That takes power, it takes strength, and we draw on that through that grace that He gives us. But we've got to believe it. It's that heartfelt, authentic repentance is the way that we grasp these two essential aspects of forgiving grace and transforming grace. It's through repentance that we put those into action. So there's a process that was laid out in the Marine Corps. We had acronyms for everything. So I got a little burned out on acronyms. But I'm going to throw one at you today. It's really simple. It's called CAR. right? And this is a, a process for when you, when you go, okay, well, repentance, James. Okay, I'm going to repent. I'm going to stop. Well, here's a process for prayer. As we just came off a, a, a series on prayer, this is basically what this is. And it's a step-by-step. -step. It's a three-step. It's pretty simple. First, we confess we acknowledge our sin. We come to an understanding of what our sin is. And maybe sometimes what we think is our sin, there's some others underlying that that is drawing us away from God. And so we've got to really look deeper at what is causing the problem, right? It's what is causing us to turn away from Him and confessing that and getting it out there, right? The next is that we affirm that we are forgiven. That's what I talked about a minute ago. We have a hard time with that. But we affirm and we truly believe that we are forgiven for that. And we pray for that forgiving grace. Right? And then, finally, we request Jesus' 
power and his grace to live differently, to be transformed. And that's where that transforming grace comes in. Right? So we confess it. We affirm that forgiveness. And then we request for the power to change. I already told you about Jason. I'm going to close with this. Um, a little more about him. And the man who, who said I needed to give this message today. I told you, join the Marine Corps. He's a 20-year almost veteran of Pearland PD. He'd been a Marine MP before that. Um, tragically, as a rookie cop in early days uh, at the PD, he was married with three children. His wife was taken very, very unexpectedly. He was left as a single dad with three kids working three jobs. And he, he and my mom both mirror the same message. It doesn't matter what the storm is that comes. It doesn't matter how much pain is there. It doesn't matter what you're dealing with. It doesn't matter whatever life throws at you. His grace is sufficient for all of us. And it's the, the hope that is in tomorrow that we deal in dealing with the pain that we meet today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I, I pray that this week this body of people come to an understanding, a greater understanding, and embrace that grace that you have poured out for each and every one of us. Lord, that we understand that the forgiving grace and the transforming grace is essential to coming to you in true repentance and coming to you in relationship. Lord, give us the strength to do that this week and be with those who are in pain and suffering. In your name we pray. Amen.